Welcome to It Starts at Birth, a daily podcast for families with questions and concerns about pregnancy and birth. Our purpose on this podcast is to empower and inform the conversations that you have with your loved ones or just with yourself or your care providers, rather than to lead and manipulate you into thinking one way. We just want to empower you to be aware of all of your options and then to make the decision that's right for you. This is part three of um, a three-part series about questions to ask your OBGYN. The first two parts of the series covered four questions, and then this um, series, this um, final conclusion of the series will contain two additional questions. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us for It Starts at Birth. Let's get right into it. So we'll jump right into the last two questions of the six that I put together that I wish I had known to ask my OBGYN in my first pregnancy. One thing to keep in mind with all six of these questions is that you really want to, from the beginning of your time period with your care provider, to begin planning for your birth. Keep in mind, it's not just about those monthly visits and then weekly visits towards the end. It's ultimately about that very significant moment in life where you give birth and making sure that you're really comfortable and aware of what's gonna go on so that you can be empowered and in control involving your husband or your significant other in what's important to you is also um, really important and really helpful as that moment approaches to keep you on track. But of course, if your care provider isn't also on the same page with you, that's not going to do you a lot of good towards the end. A lot of women write up birth plans, and definitely you should. You should kind of think up what you really want as a final outcome. But of course, it's important to also make sure that your care provider is on the same page. So question number five that I would want to ask my OBGYN would be what percentage of births under your care end in cesarean? Now, this question uh, is very significant because there are a lot of um, differences throughout the country throughout different hospitals and throughout the world in cesarean rates. And certainly just asking that question from your care provider will be a significant indicator to you of where your OBGYN and their practice and um, their hospital stands on cesareans and how often they perform them. Now, the point isn't that cesareans are bad um, or that they should be avoided at all costs. The point is that cesarean is something that can really create prolonged problems for the woman. It certainly can um, lead to a much longer recovery time than just a traditional vaginal birth. But on the reverse side, a cesarean is a wonderful modern medical intervention that is available to us when necessary. But there are a lot of statistics and a lot of evidence out there that show that maybe cesareans are performed more often than they're truly medically needed. In fact, there are reports that 
having an um, optional cesarean rather than just a medically required cesarean is something that's on the rise in the U.S. So that indicates that you may have a provider that would be likely to um, allow you to have a cesarean or even offer a cesarean rather um, even when it wasn't medically necessary. And some of the statistics um, around the world that you should possibly be aware of and might want to keep in mind when you're considering cesarean or talking to your doctor about a cesarean is that in the United States, uh, we actually rank as the fifth highest ranking uh, country in the world to perform cesareans, whereas countries like Iceland and Finland um, and countries that traditionally utilize midwives rather than just OBGYNs as the uh, primary care providers for uh, pregnant women and birthing, they fall um, under half the same number of those who receive cesareans as as women inside of the U.S. So per every thousand inside of the U.S., for every thousand babies born in the U.S., there are over 300 cesareans, whereas in some of these other countries um, like Finland and um, Sweden, the birth rate or the cesarean rate drops down to 170 in every um, thousand births. So that's just something to keep in mind because a cesarean can lead to much longer recovery time for a woman. So you don't want to be given one as part of a routine or a process for your hospital if it wasn't truly necessary. And also from state to state, the rate of cesarean varies quite a lot. For instance, in Nebraska, 34% of births end in cesarean, whereas in a state like Idaho, only 17% end in cesarean. So depending on where you live, depending on the preferences of your practitioner, you have a greater chance of having a cesarean, and it may not really have, in the end, all that much to do with your level of high-risk pregnancy or birthing situation. So those are just some facts to keep in mind, and rather than just blindly trusting that you would only be given a cesarean if it was truly medically necessary— you might want to educate yourself about what's common in your area and then decide what's right for you. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, and the whole point of you know these six questions um, is to put you in control so that you can make a plan. And you know if you happen to have an advocate there um, who understands your plan, um, you can empower them to speak up on your behalf. And that's a really um, that's a really powerful thing you can do to make sure that you're not going to be, um, you know, kind of rushed or put into a situation that you weren't planning on or you weren't comfortable with from the start. And again, cesareans aren't um, necessarily something that everyone wants to avoid. Some people even elect just to have a cesarean because that's their preference. But the point is to decide what you want inside of your birthing experience. And then, of course, if a medical emergency arrives, uh, you'll be grateful to have that option to have a cesarean. But if there's no true medical emergency, 
being educated, being aware, being able to make the decision that you wanted can really help make sure that you have the outcome you were looking for, the type of birthing experience you were looking for. And I'm sure we'll talk more about cesareans in this podcast. Um, But one thing to keep in mind, too, if you truly were considering an elective cesarean rather than just a a traditional vaginal birth and going that route rather than than um, just the standard process of birth is that it is a major medical procedure and there is quite a risk for damaging your kidneys and other organs and your bladder. And so these types of cesareans or these types of med- this type of medical procedure um, certainly, unless it's what you elected for and that's what you decided you really wanted, Uh, Certainly, it's not something that you would just want to go along with the flow of your care provider with if it wasn't what you were wanting, because there is a higher risk there. Right. And like you said, we're going to get more into this um, about the different reasons that it's a good idea to have one. But some of the reasons that maybe you you want to keep an eye out for um, are whether or not it's being done because it's fitting, it fits better into the doctor's schedule, or if it's something that um, is actually medically necessary. And so learning to ask the right questions in advance will give you the right perspective. And then also understanding how to ask the right questions in the moment. Because if it isn't medically necessary, you just want to make sure that you are aware of that and so that you don't, you don't have second, um, you're not second guessing the process, you know, afterwards. And this is all about empowerment through asking the right questions and having conversations. In addition from the fluctuating statistics from state to state and nation to nation, another indicator that C-sections often can be performed, as Mark is saying, as something that maybe fits better into your OBGYN schedule rather than into what was truly medically necessary, is that there's a much higher rate of cesareans that happen between the hours of 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. every day. Uh, If it was truly um, all related to medical necessities, these cesareans would happen, you know, in the evening and at midnight. Um, pretty uh, standardly and evenly. So that's one indicator and all of these fluctuating statistics are another indicator that you should just kind of have your radar up and make sure that you're in control of that conversation and your final outcome as much as possible. So now let's go into question number six. This question is important because it really is in a lot of ways the first question that you ask in regards to parenting as a or in in relationship to a medical professional in regards to your parenting style and question number six is what shots and treatments will my baby be given while at the hospital now there are two primary types of treatments that I'm talking about right now first of all it's very routine for babies to be given eye drops when they're born, and also to be given shots before they leave the hospital, oftentimes within the first few hours of birth. And one of the major flaws of the medical industry is that it tends to funnel the majority through a standardized process rather than really keeping in mind the unique preferences and um, needs of the individual. 
So just as a parent, verifying what process your baby's going to be put through and why they're going to be put through that process is a great first step in developing your parenting style. Because when you take your children to the dentist in the future, when you take your children to the doctor in the future, again, you're going to be confronted with that process of the medical industry where they just recommend a standardized process, a standardized treatment for different ages. And whether or not you're someone who wants to just completely go along with that, which that's okay too, but it's still good to know what's happening, what's being done to your child. All throughout your child's next 18 years, you're going to be asked again and again by uh, school teachers and school nurses and doctors, what shots have your baby been given? So being aware is really important. Additionally, there are some shots um, that some people would consider not as important and not as necessary as other shots. Uh, the process of giving eye drops to baby to babies is something that's very beneficial um, across the board to help reduce infections that can lead to blindness for babies. But not all women are in the category of their babies needing those specific eye drops. So if that's something that sounds um, displeasing to you or not like the type of process you would want your infant to be immediately put through, asking what the process is, why that's important, and then determining where you fit into that process, what you want out of that process, is a great first step in being an active parent. Yeah, and this is all about empowerment through conversations like we mentioned earlier. Understanding um, what um, subjects will matter to you um, in advance, and that gives you the insight to ask your OBGYN um, and your medical providers what specifically to keep an eye out for and you know what matters to you. If, you're, if you haven't had those conversations and you're in the hospital, you really do feel like you don't have any control because you're around a bunch of people who are professionals and they're experts in their field. And so, you know, speaking up and asking each question, you know, a lot of times it will be very difficult in the moment. So these are the questions you can ask in advance that will give you the power in the moment. And like I said, knowledge is power. And this is all about empowering people to be in control of the birthing process that they choose in advance. We actually have time now for a bonus question. We were just going to do six questions, but there is a seventh question that is really important if you are undecided on having an epidural or not. If you're going to have a hospital birth, but you're not necessarily going to for sure have an epidural, one question you'll want to ask is, will you be able to walk around freely and also choose the position that you give birth in? Now, most hospitals, I believe, allow women to walk around. Although if you live in a large city, there may not be as much room for you to walk around in the hospital. So kind of verifying what's available to you and what types of options you have once you arrive at the hospital to walk around and get yourself comfortable can be very important. Um, labor, of course, can take many hours and walking can help speed up the process and can help you to dilate faster and to kind of move you along through the stages of labor a little bit better. So not being stuck, laying in bed, laying on your back can really significantly 
not only speed things up, but reduce your pain naturally as well. And and a really important part of this question is, will you be able to choose the position that you give birth in? We have seen for so long images of women laying on their back, pushing their baby out. And while that works to a degree, it also is not the only way and often not the optimal way for a child to enter the world. Um, That's how I gave birth to my first daughter. And as I mentioned on the last episode, I ended up having an episiotomy and it was very painful. When I had my second daughter, naturally, I was standing up in the bathtub, as my husband has referenced, and uh, he caught her because she came so quickly. But I was standing up and I pushed from that position and it was so easy and very close to painless. And that is something that I had heard um, just in passing in my Lamaze class that gravity can really help the baby to come out and laying on your back isn't really optimal for gravity to help you out, although it may end up being the position that ends up feeling right for you. But having the ability to move around and just pick the spot that feels right when it's time to push and you get that urge to push can be so helpful and so beneficial. So verifying that you'll have the option to pick the spot that's right for you, especially if you're considering a natural birth at the hospital, is really something that you'll be glad you did if you're in that situation. Yeah, and these questions in so many ways are a starting point. Um, I'm sure you will have many, many more questions, but understanding the the outline of, of what we're talking about here and engaging with your medical provider so that you really feel like you're on the same page, you feel heard, and that's really what it's about. If you can have a conversation and you feel heard, then you're going to feel in a much better spot. I know people who have you know, begin, begun to ask their OBGYN questions and they didn't feel like um, they, they really wanted to answer those questions, and they kind of felt like they were just being herded through the process, and that was something that really you know, gave them you know, pause and made them realize that maybe this wasn't the right provider for them. So these questions really are just an outline. You're going to have so many more questions. And if you don't feel heard during the process of asking these questions earlier, early on in the process, then maybe it's a good idea to continue looking for a provider. The the first person that you go see, you know, there's a good chance that may not be the one that you want to stay with. And these questions will help you in the in that process of feeling out the providers. Yeah, and you saying that these questions are really just a starting point is really true. It brings uh, up something else to me. As Marcus shared, we're going through our third pregnancy, and I um, not so long ago went and met my med- my midwife for the first time um, that I'll be using over the next several weeks until we move and have to find another provider. But on her application um, or health survey form for the first visit, one of the things she had space for at the end was to just write down any questions that you might have. So I took that very literally and I wrote down about 15 questions because a lot had come up and she was wonderful. She'll spend quite a bit of time talking to me and answering my questions in detail. And so I had about a two and a half hour visit with her once all was said and done. 
But um, maybe taking some of these questions, these six questions, and writing down the ones that you think are important to you, but then also building out your list from there. And it doesn't all have to be questions about that final moment of birth so much. There are a lot of other questions I'm sure you'll have. Make a detailed list. Come into the office knowing what your current concerns are and what your future concerns are and ask your practitioner what their answers, what their recommendations are for those things. And that will also be very telling. If your list of questions is too long for them to have time to answer or to be interested in answering detailed in a detailed way, then that can also be a warning sign to you that they're not the right provider as well or on the reverse, if they are willing to take the time to make you feel comfortable in this process that you are going through, that can also be a great indicator that you found the right person. Well, I think this is a great time for us to go ahead and recap the um, seven total questions. And from there, we're going to kind of lay out um, where we're going to go next. So go ahead and faith, go ahead, faith and um, recap those questions for us. Yeah, so we had Seven questions. Question number one is, will you be the person to birth my baby? And if not, can I meet the person that will be likely to birth my baby if you're not here? Number two was, how often do you induce and what do you see as a reason to induce? Number three was, if I have an epidural, what will the side effects to my baby and myself be? Number four Will skin-to-skin contact with my baby be prioritized? Number five, what percent of births under your care end in cesarean? Number six, what shots and treatments will my baby be given while at the hospital? And number seven, will I be able to walk around freely and choose the position that I give birth in? So those are the seven questions that I would use as a starting point if I was going to go in and work with an OBGYN in the future. And like I said earlier, I I really hope you just see this as a starting point. This is an outline that you can help develop your own questions. And so when you go in and, you know, you're you're meeting your provider for the first time or you're going back for a follow-up appointment, you have a set of questions that will really just be a starting point for you as you develop the birthing process that you choose. And hopefully you have someone that is an advocate that can be there for you to help make sure that you are following through um, or the, the medical professionals, you know, respect your plan and that you're sticking to that plan. And if that works, if this helps you develop that, then we'll see this as a very successful time because that's what we're talking about here. We're not about projecting our own path, but helping you find your path. And a lot of times finding your path isn't just about uh, the serious questions and um, the bigger, heavier weighted things like how you're going to give birth, but also some of the lighter stuff too, that if you know some answers or have a little bit of direction from a fellow mom-to-be, it can make your journey a lot more fun, a lot more relaxing. So on future podcast episodes, we've got some fun topics coming up. Um, We'll talk about how to dress fashionably and comfortably when you're pregnant. Uh, We'll also talk about just simple things like stretch mark cream and exercise routines that make you feel empowered 
how to kind of see past all of the scary, um, yeah, scary recommendations that you might find. If you're just trying to see like if an exercise routine is safe to do or a specific move, sometimes by the end, you'll get such contradictory advice that you'll just have to decide, well, I'm just not going to do it because I don't know what to do from here. And that's one of the worst things to do. It it puts you in a very Victorian era uh, time frame where women had to sit and have their period of isolation just because they were pregnant. Uh, we don't need to be kind of stuck, immobile, especially when it wasn't necessary, just because there's a lack of good, clear information out there that makes you as a mom feel empowered. So on everything from exercise to what food to eat um, and morning sickness, things like that, we'll just discuss conversations that will hopefully help you to feel empowered in the decisions that you make. And additionally, we'll be tackling other conversations as well as far as what are the standard pregnancy and birthing practices around the world, how they contrast with what we do here in the United States, and how we can learn from that to kind of find hopefully a better future not only for our birthing experiences, but also our birthing rights in the future as well. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to getting into all of these topics. I mean, to us, it's all about having a happy, healthy, knowledgeable pregnancy where you feel empowered from the beginning to the end to have the birth that you planned on having. Obviously, there will be times where things come up that alter that plan, but understanding the difference between a medical necessity and a preference is really what we're talking about right here. And obviously we, we went into, you know, a pretty heavy subject to get started off. And I think that's a great place to get started. But like Faye said, there's so many fun things and so many other things that we have planned to talk about. And we're just really excited to continue this conversation. We're excited that you joined us and you, you want to be a part of this conversation. Um, so thank you so much for joining us for It Starts at Birth. My name is Mark. And my name is Faith. And thank you for joining us for Six Questions to Ask Your OBGYN. This is a daily podcast. We hope you'll join us tomorrow.